This podcast is not safe for work and will feature movie spoilers. It will feature scenes described of a graphic nature. It will contain language which most listeners may find offensive. Welcome to the podcast Under the Stairs. Hi everyone and welcome to the podcast Under the Stairs. This is episode 162. I'm your host Duncan McLeish and welcome to the show. So we are formally kicking off a three episode listener choice series. We do this every single year. This is our annual listener choice December month. So what we tend to do is we put out on polls on the Facebook group page for people to interact and choose things and yeah you pretty much dictate what we will do over these three episodes. Now the first episode is always a dream double bill. You pick, well, you pick loads of double bills and then we put them into a, or a dream combo, so to speak. We put them on a poll on the Facebook page and you guys overwhelmingly voted for the two movies we'll be discussing on this episode tonight, which is Piranha 3D um, and Lake Placid. So we're gonna be discussing those. Um, In a week's time, we will do our Christmas horror movie which you also selected as being Jack Frost for shame listeners for shame and then the week after that which will be Christmas Eve we will do our Christmas Eve commentary and on that one we're covering the movie Orca so yeah weird selection for December and uh, I think we went kind of counterculture to the, the the Christmas and festive atmosphere of choosing movies and went down a far more kind of animals run amok sort of road, which will be interesting because it's a genre that we dabble with under the stairs but don't really go headlong. I'm quite happy to say that I've managed to secure for both the commentary and this episode Bo Ransdell, who is my resident animal gone amok, nature gone amok, uh, eco, horror, film, guru, dude. So he's going to help us. Uh, through this one, will be joining me on this episode. So yeah, I, I can't believe we're here already. Uh, this is the this is weird. It does not feel that long since we did the previous uh, listener choice December, and yeah, so a year ago we're back here again. Um, this is kicking off a manic two and a bit weeks for podcasts under the stairs. So get yourself ready because uh, what you're going to get hurtled at you over the next two weeks ostensibly is a ton of content. I mean, we've already ramped up, um, but things are just going to get even crazier the further we go along. To put things in perspective, this is what is listed for you guys um, between now and Christmas Eve, two weeks away. Uh, You will be getting, obviously, this episode here. Um, On Wednesday, we're dropping Andy Loves Art House, episode number two, looking at Enter the Void. Um, On Thursday, we're dropping a bonus episode looking at the house that Jack built, the new Lars von Trier movie. On Saturday, we drop the final instalment of the Puppet Master Russian Roulette franchise retrospective. And then on Sunday, you're getting um, Italian Collection Disc Number 22, Massacre in Dinosaur Valley. So yeah, that's what that's five episodes this week. Um, all could not be any more different if they tried. And then the following week. Get yourself strapped in for this one. We have a listener choice horror movie for Christmas, which is Jack Frost. 
We're then swinging into the Bazaversary episode on Tuesday. On Thursday, we have Movie Club, Deep Rising, the listener reviews. On the Friday, we have Masters of the Wanaverse Part 1, uh, featuring Jamie J. Sammons and Bo Ransdell, looking at the movies directed by James Wan. Um, and then on the Saturday, we have a special little bonus Christmas horror movie episode looking at all the creatures we're starring. And then on Sunday the 23rd, it's a special bonus episode of just shooting the shit with Scott and Liam versus Evil before on Christmas Eve we drop the listener choice December Christmas Eve commentary looking at Orca. So yeah, like 13 episodes or something between now and Christmas Eve. So don't say I didn't warn you. Tons of stuff coming up. But I've got a great conversation coming up with Bo Ransdell. I'm looking forward for you to hear it. It is a ton of fun. Bo's always awesome at these things. And uh, let's just swing right into it. So I'm going to take a very short break just now. You're going to hear promos for shows that I love. You're going to hear the... A bit of music, actually. We're going to kick things off with some music. How about that? And then when I return, I'm introducing my guest. We're doing that right after this. Want to learn more about horror directors? With a lighthearted look at three of their movies... Meet fearless podcaster Gore Blimey. I've been unsettled by bats in the past and startled by parrots, and I've even been known to jump at the odd cockatoo. Discover horror films that are classics, and others, too. There's a topless aerobics massacre, an exploding rock singer, cannibals, nude martial arts, a deep fright process. But it's not all silliness. You'll get proper movie breakdowns, opinion, and background information, too. Yep, in the 80s and 90s, Jeff Stryker was huge in gay porn. In every sense. So if you're a horror film fan, come and check out the Trilogy of Terror podcast at strangeanddeadly.com or find it on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or on your podcatcher. One of those people that has a certain charisma and a certain style, and I'm just hoping one day he'll rub off on me. The Trilogy of Terror podcast, where we try three times harder to give you the willies.
and welcome back. So, uh, before we get into talking about movies and shit, um, it, is, it is worthwhile just taking a bit of time to introduce my guest. You last heard him on the round table as part of the Summer Teapot's Top 10 series. Uh, he is going to be doing quite a few stops under the stairs this month um, because one, you people wanted him on the show, I don't know why. Uh, two, it's tradition that he does the Christmas Eve commentary with me, so he has to be on for that. And uh, the third reason, because he has been roped into a project which um, is just going to have him just tell me how much he dislikes a particular director's body of work. I'm obviously speaking about the the Wanaverse episode that will be coming out where I will be somewhere in the middle between someone that really loves everything the guy does and Bo, <laughs> who does not, is of course my, my guest at this time is the, the man in charge of Legion Podcast Network, a guy that I have the, the pleasure of calling a podcast comrade over on Duncan and Bo Come Correct. A man that is uh, the voice behind many podcasts and many projects. Uh, it's the fantastic Bo Ransdell. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing well. How are you? Uh, that was <laughs> well, a lovely introduction. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty good at them. I'm, I, I, I feel that that's the. I feel like it goes downhill from there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, damn, my back. My back is hurting from how much I'm carrying the show this month, Duncan. You know. <laughs> It's one of these weird things. I was like, uh, even like, put people in perspective, like, give, give them a peek behind the curtain there for those that don't follow on the, the Facebook page. So this is the, this is the second episode in our um, third annual Listener Choice December where I give the, the, the reins of control of movie selection over to my listeners. They get three selections within that month. The first one is a Christmas horror movie. Now, tradition speaks that Ryan Lewis features on that episode. So that spot's taken. The next episode is a Dream Double Bill. Pick a double bill that you want me to cover on podcast on the stairs that you really think I should have covered. Uh, and then the second part of that selection is picky podcaster that you want to come on. So the third one is Christmas Eve commentary, which you took up the mantle of last year because Baz bowed out at doing them. Um, and we did Maximum Overdrive as our Christmas commentary, which is just fucking hilarious. And, and yeah, oh, it, was, so it, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. Once again, not really Christmassy, but it was a lot of fun. Uh, so this year, people know that you're doing the commentary. So I'm like that. Let's pick movies. So people, I noticed a theme, by the way, of uh, you know, animal or creature-related horror. And uh, the reason I say that is, by the time this episode has come out, I've already announced what movie club is for December, and the listeners picked that one, and that's Deep Rising. So, oh, oh it's a good movie. So it's so Deep Rising's the listener's choice for a uh, movie club for listener reviews. Um, the double bill landed up on this one, Lake Placid and Piranha. They didn't specify, and I got the feeling because things have been a bit cheesy this month, we're just going to go Piranha 3D. So Piranha 3D. And um, yeah, the commentary they selected was Orca. So it's all seems to, it all seems to have happened at the end of the year. It's like people are like that. You've not talked about any animal horror for the last three years, Duncan. Here is it all in a month. Um, but when I was like that, podcasters to come on, I gave them a choice of five. And very quickly, Bo started taking the lead. And embarrassingly so, that you started taking the lead. 
ahead of everyone else. And what I felt like saying was that you were kind of stuck in the fire. You know, like that, I want to be on this episode. And I was like, Bo, you're already on a couple of episodes. Plus, we have three <laughs> Duncan and Bo Come Correct episodes to do this month as well. I'm just saying, people out there, maybe we don't, maybe we don't select Bo, which meant that they doubled down on Bo. Uh, sure. And yeah. like overnight, it like rocketed up to double the amount it was before I went to bed. And I was like, this is literally like kid logic. You know, don't touch the button. So they touch the button. Go to your bed. I'm not tired. You know, this is, this is what my listeners have become. But I would say this, I'd pivot on this. If there was anyone I was going to have on this show, on Podcast Under the Stairs, to cover Lake Placid and Panana 3D, it would be you that I would choose. You would have been my first choice for it because listeners may not know, and they probably do know, that if I was to associate one subgenre with you more than any other, it would be the animals gone awry, nature run amok. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's the first thing that springs to mind when I think of Bo. Is that accurate? Is that your favourite subgenre? I mean, is it my favorite? I don't know, Duncan. It's more a lifestyle than it is just <laughs> a genre that I occasionally dip a toe into. Um, yeah, yeah, maybe so. But, you know, that that's kind of my bread and butter. I, I don't know that there's one I haven't seen. And if there is, point me to it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, with some exceptions. Like, I can't say I've, I've seen every, like, Piranaconda that came down the, the pike from uh, the good people at sci-fi but if it's a legitimate studio like you know the swarm or terror from the skies or squirm or you know venom or mm. snakes on a plane like anything that was released into a bunch of theaters and had an animal what killed people uh i've i've probably seen it and enjoyed it like i i can watch shockma and enjoy it more than i should Oh, Shotma's a Shotma's scary though. <laughs> like Shotma's like Shotma's like pant-shittingly terrifying. Like me, eh. I won't go near the primate section in a, a, a Zubo. It's it's not a very good movie, and and the number of times you can see set walls bounce as, <laughs> as Shotma careens through the scene uh, is a little unfortunate. But you know. It's it's a movie. It's a uh, suspension of disbelief, and when a baboon is attacking people, I'm I'm happy. Bo yeah. is happy. That's that's a true statement yeah. right there. I have a, I have a t-shirt that says that. When a baboon uh, when a baboon is ta- attacking, Bo is happy. Yeah, if when a baboon's attacking, you better get to clapping for Bo because <laughs> he's happy. <laughs> that's the next t-shirt. Um, uh huh. You had to pay by the letter, so I shortened the right down. Shortened the right down. Um, what's interesting is you, you're talking about like legitimate like studios putting out these sort of movies, and obviously right. this year we have seen. I was going to say a resurgence. We haven't seen a resurgence, right? But one of the the big expectations this year was a little movie called Meg. You may have heard of mm. it before, um, yeah. and it it did it did some some very good money to yeah, the point fine. yeah it, yeah it did some very good money to the point that there's you know there's now talks for a meg too i don't think we need it but they're, they're talking about it and um it kind of made me think of 
how far we have actually come because, I mean, these movies were typically popular in the 70s um, for, for the most part. That was the, the, the KD. You could call it the golden age of animal kind attack of, movies. Kind of 50s first. Yeah, yeah. But I, I, I would say the, kind of the 50s run is less geared at the horror market, if that makes sense. And, I mean, they're, they're, they were drive-in movies, like the giant yeah. Gila monster and, uh, uh, you know, any of those ilk, those atomic movies, them, which is one yeah. of the greatest animal attack movies ever. Oh, yeah, them is fucking incredible. Right. So, but it was kind of like, yeah, the 50s had it, the 70s had it, and it, it there really hasn't been a, a a time you could point to other than when like Lake Placid came out. Well, this that was is one the of those- weird thing about it because like the, what I was going to say is that you're talking about legitimate like studio horror movies and like when Meg was getting originally kind of floated as that is definitely happening now. We're definitely putting the original name of director that was going to lead the charge on it was Eli Roth. And Eli Roth was connected to it for about a year before he kind of disappeared and ended up doing a death wish, which ugh, what a fucking waste. And um, the <laughs> the house with clocks in the walls, which I actually quite enjoyed. Uh, and I, I kind of just think that that's where Eli Roth should stay forever. Just doing that and and not and not doing horror movies. You should just do kid movies with Jack Black. Um, that's that's my that's my new that's my new pivot for him. Um, or or cable, yeah, documentaries about horror. Well, at least the uh, thing is, he's not. I've not watched any of that yet, and people. I I I've seen some people surprised at that one. Uh, you know, he he, he can talk well about horror and I was like that that's what he kinda does. That's right. You know, he, he's that's like I've I've got God knows how many Italian genre seventies, you know, Blu-rays where Eli Roth has a little talking heads bit on it where he talks about well, that's that's his but that's what he does. That's his that's his bread and butter. That's his wheelhouse. That's where he likes to live. So yeah, like he obviously clearly knows his horror. That doesn't necessarily. I know my horror, but that doesn't mean I'd be a good director. I wouldn't be. Um, you no, know that. Shit. Yeah, I could. You know what I mean. I don't. So I'd probably be great. I don't. I really don't think I would be. I don't think I've got one. I don't think I have the temperament for it. I think I'd be like Argento. I think I'd end up being like Argento. So like, fuck the actors. I hate actors. Um, I just want Get my show. daughter out here and put her in something skimpy. Yes, yes. I, I did not think of that analogy when, when I said it at first, and you've shamed me, sir. Thank you. Um, <laughs> yeah, you're, you're welcome. Play this but, back for a winner later. <laughs> but like the fact that his name was connected to it um, was like, well, we're going to be getting this kind of creature feature in the cinema, and it's going to be by a kind of cough-cough established horror director. Um, sure. Which, you know, I was like, well, you know, I mean... But then when I think at these two movies here, these are two studio horror movies, um, and the names attached to both these projects are established horror directors. So, like, when we talk about Piranha 3D, this is uh, Alexander Azure, mm-hmm. um, who had been on a tear of, now I would argue, some of the remakes, not very good, didn't like his Hills Have Eyes remake, thought Mirrors is a... Oh, oh, a woefully bad movie however when yeah. I look at where that guy started I you know this and I know that you're maybe not on the same level as me I think 
uh, High Tension, aka if you're in the UK, Switchblade Romance is a fucking great horror movie. Um, and he, you know, he, he cut his teeth there, and he was involved with a lot of different projects. Obviously, helped produce the Maniac remake, which I think is a fucking great movie as well. But he kind of he lost my interest, and then come back with Prior 3D, which once again we'll get into it later on. I have a storied relationship with. But that didn't really kind of stop him there. After that movie, he did Horns, which I thought was a really great kind of fantasy horror movie. I, I really, really liked it. So, you know, he was established. Then he was Steve Miner with Lake Placid. And that guy is like... That guy's like collection of horror movies. Now, you can argue the validity of how good they are. But he worked on Friday the 13th. He did Warlock, which was a movie we briefly touched on yesterday during a commentary mm. we recorded for Duncan and Bo Come Correct. So he directed that as well. And he jumps in and out of the genre quite a bit. So he's a guy that also has a, a kind of horror lineage when it comes to the movies he's put in his back catalogue. So these are two big-budgeted horror movies that actually have more in Lake Placid as well surprisingly strong cast you know what I mean of actors who oh, yeah. you, you know what I mean like Lake Placid is stacked in a way that I could not remember I, it was a it was a head scratching moment for me when I realised who was you know the extent of who was in that movie but there are recognisable faces in the genre um, and of the time in Piranha 3D as well so these are two big budget studio you know, animal horror movies that, you know, both of these movies did well as well financially. Both of them did well. So I find it interesting that off the back of Lake Placid or off the back of Piranha 3D, there wasn't a boom. Because we know what the horror industry is like. You know, this movie sold every studio and their auntie wants to now put out a movie that will capitalise on that. And we didn't really get it after either one. And it's a weird one because had either one of these been a slasher movie, you know for a fact to fall on you there would have been 40 slasher movies. Um, right, and I'm not right. quite sure why. Is it that people, do you think personally, this is like leading up to a question that I didn't think I was asking, but I now I'm asking. Um, do you think personally there's any particular reason for that? Why, why studios are maybe afraid to just pull the trigger and uh, and have a slight renaissance on animal horror movies? Uh, you know, I would imagine it comes down to script and, and like anything these days, you, you can't, <laughs> studios are reluctant to launch an IP that no one knows anything about. Mm -hmm. So short of, Hey, we're going to remake, I don't know, Grizzly, for example. And then you have to ask the question, like the, the financial algorithm is how many people have heard of this thing? And how many people will go see it if we put this person in it and it's directed by this person and then we pay this much money to produce it? Can we get that money back? Yeah. And and I don't know that there are that many famous Animal Attack movies. Like, you can only remake Jaws so many times. Yeah. And eventually they will. Don't kid yourself. Yeah. Uh, uh, but, you know, I mean, there it's, it's not like... Uh, uh, remaking slasher films where you can do like you know the Halloween and Prom Night and Friday the 13th and Texas Chainsaw Massacre and you know what those movies are and the formula for them is kind of set in stone at this point and animal attack movies aren't that different I mean there's a formula to them oh yeah definitely so it's just that I don't know I mean I wish there were uh, I, I think it's more that 
you gotta you almost have to be a remake if you're gonna be a, a horror movie made at the kind of level like the the other problem is that animal attack movies cost money because they're animals and yeah. animals it turns out are fucking stupid they don't <laughs> do the things you tell them to do if you you tell a dog like all right i need you to go here and then i need you to lay down and then you're gonna wait 30 seconds and then get up and go off screen dog don't know that how to do that he's gonna look at you and just want some bacon so you know you gotta either spend a bunch of time and money getting all these shots with animals in it or you cgi it and run the risk of like well this could look like shit you know because I because I was thinking about this earlier because I, I was trying to, I was trying to hypothesize a theory on this and my my original kind of hypothesis bo was that I thought that the fact that sci-fi and companies like Asylum churn out these even when they're not popular churn out these really cheaply made really poorly crafted kind of animal horror movies that major studios might be reluctant to kind of touch them if you know what I mean. But, yeah, you know, that the, they they've poisoned the well a bit. Yeah, there are uh, a stigma with them. Yeah. But but then I thought that has had no effect on kind of paranormal movies at all, of which there are shitloads of cheaply made horrible little you know sci-fi equivalents or asylum equivalents of them. Yet we're still getting movies in the cinema which are playing exactly into the formula of possessions or hauntings. So it's interesting why that one gets a pass. But animals don't. I, I think it's. I think it's just really interesting because you know, because I thought I was on it. I was like, yeah, this is my theory. I'm sticking to it. This theory holds water. Um, and then, like about five minutes later, I was like, well, no, it doesn't, because you know, it, it, it's the same sort of idea. I, I, I don't know. I don't know what it is. But it'll be interesting touching it because, albeit these movies share a lot in common in terms of the things that I've laid out. I think they are radically different movies and we'll get into my opinions on that. I think it's to do with when they came out, almost 10 years apart, um, mm-hmm. that we're already starting to see the trend um, to what will inevitably end up being the, the craze of things like Sharknado. Um, you know, it, it, yes. I think it comes off the back of Piranha <laughs> 3D, but we, we, we'll get into that. And the last thing I want to ask you, um, is that yeah. like we said we said earlier on um, is you know obviously we have another podcast it's called Duncan and Bo Come Correct I feel that I neglect quite a lot to mention the very hard work we do over there um, it's mostly us goofing around but I, I I think it's I think I almost like to think that it's um, it's on some level this dirty little secret that people don't share enough um, is Duncan and Bo because it's become this weird eclectic collage of of different things. It's so far removed from how it started, uh, and I know that we're about to kick off a brand new series in January. And I like I love a little bit of self promotion uh, where possible yes. to set these things up. Um, how excited! knowing that the next thing we're going to discuss next year is True Detective Season 3 and knowing that we both think that maybe the first season of True Detective is potentially the single greatest series of TV ever made um, and knowing that both of us really liked that second season but 
I think I liked it more than you did, but knowing that it maybe didn't live up to the lofty heights of season one, and knowing that a lot of the same elements behind both those seasons are behind the third season, how excited are you about season three, True Detective? Fuck, no wonder our shows are so long. It takes you forever to ask a question. (laughs) Um, uh, Okay, on a scale of one to green room, Mm -hmm. I am... See, if I were being guarded, I would say I'm right about a murder party. Oh. But the truth is, I'm more like a blue ruin. Ah. Yeah. Um, no, I can't wait. It's Jeremy Saulnier, at least in part. Doing Four episodes. I think he's doing the majority of the, right. the, the work on the directing. So. Right. So he has not done a bad piece of entertainment. Um, everything he has done has been good to great, mm-hmm. and and I trust. Uh, like I think HBO was smart when they were like, you know what, we're not going to try to shove out another third episode of True Detective. We heard that people weren't crazy about season two. We're going to sit down and think about it, and we're going to make sure when we come back, it is the level of quality that you fell in love with. Yeah, in, in season one. And I respect that. Now we'll see how season three turns out. But I like it when a network's just like, you know what? Fuck it. Hang on a second. Like, yeah. Nick, get in here. What <laughs> the fuck were you doing in season two? I don't know. I was just so happy. I was drinking a lot after season one. It's like literally, this is the thing that people didn't hear in the background is that first season, he'd been working on that. He'd been working on that story for years. And right. it became this huge success and HBO basically said you have a season 2 here 3 months go and write a season 2 and he was like uh, okay <laughs> like, and there is that danger of when something becomes so successful you believe the hype and I'm not saying for one second that Nick Pizzolatto is not talented season 1 of True Detective tells me he's a talented writer because the story was completely captivating, and how much of that you can attribute to Kari Fukunaka, um, that's a different that's a different story. Sure. You know what I mean? Sure. Um, certainly, the visual aspect was the bit that dragged me in, but the the st- the writing, the way that McConaughey delivered those lines, those lines are interesting. The way that McConaughey delivered them, they were fucking infinitely interesting. But you can't expect a guy whose his life work was to get season one made. To just sit down and like have the Midas touch on everything. And like I said, I I really like that second season. I am fully aware it is riddled with flaws. And yeah, I can I see the complaints and I accept them. But there are a couple of one-shot scenes in that that I think like only true detective will give me mm-hmm. a scene with a guy wearing a fucking crow head wielding a shotgun killing someone only true detective will give me that and by god i want more of that or do deliberate nods to twin peaks mm-hmm. and mulholland drive and lynch and you know the, the maltese falcon and all these things there's only one tv show giving me that right and that's true detective and yeah it wasn't great i saw the trailer for the new season and i was like genius casting i'm fucking in with that i think he's a great actor um you know off the back of the stuff that he did in moonlight i think you know it's a great acting choice uh, the fact that it looks like it might be set over three different time frames and it's following a very similar kind of kind of you know cop through all these different time t- specific time frames 
like a true detective season one kind of makes me think he's going back to basics the scenery from what I've seen looks very kind of in tune with season one I don't want it to be season one I want it to be its own thing um, but I, I would say I am at the same level as you I'm at, I'm at a blue ruin level of Jeremy Sonier like excitement of it I can't wait because he's had time uh, HBO's behind him they've, you know they've and how many networks do that how many networks after the, the, the fucking ground and pound beating that True Detective Season 2 gets? How many networks say, go away, take a year, take your time, come back, and you know, whatever you do, we're we're, we're putting we're putting the money, we're putting HBO money to it, which is a lot of money, and we're gonna give you another season. How many networks do that? I, I just don't think there are I think maybe a Netflix, mm-hmm. but I don't think there's yeah. many I I can't wait. But that that's the beauty of like the HBOs and Netflixes and Hulus and stuff like that is there they there are no rules in that space yet so they can just be like fuck it it's still the wild west here if we take a year off and don't do nothing how about we take a year off and then just have a half season how about that you know like yeah. it's all it's all up for grabs like yeah, the stuff I mean, HBO does with uh, uh Game of Thrones well that was that I was about to say it helps when you can be in a position where you're like that. Yeah, no Game of Thrones this year. Next year, you know what we'll do in the middle of that? We'll just give you Westworld instead. <laughs> like holy fuck. Sure, <laughs> and that yeah, and that's not to mention stuff like The Deuce, which is a fucking amazing show. I still need to get on that. That's it's... that's been shortlisted for my. I've got like two and a half weeks off from about the 14th of December. I finish up and I don't start back work until like very early January, and The Deuce is up near the top of things I have got locked in to watch so I've heard nothing it's, but great things about it it's so incredibly watchable it's just one of those shows that as soon as it ends you're like let's do it again like you know, <laughs> let's do another um, almost knocked shit off my desk I was you're so just excited. last how happy you are about speaking I about was. the dish you're like fucking hands flying everywhere Yeah, I'm, I'm telling you that's how good the deuce is um <laughs> It, it is. It's just a, it, it, it's an incredibly cool show. It's one of those things that I like. I'm fascinated by that that time period and and uh, New York yeah. in in like mid to late seventies when it was just chaos. You yeah. know, like it was it, it was like the fucking Warriors. It really was. <laughs> um, and uh, and so seeing that reflected in the show, but it's also not completely dour you know mm. it's kind of fun it i mean like the wire was it's just like it's this perfect blend of yes it's very dramatic but it's also entertaining and compelling and funny and tragic and shocking and all that stuff it's really good so i, uh, I will, yeah, I will yeah. watch it and report back i will report but, back but to your point though duncan the duncan and Bo come correct show uh yeah it has become this like completely weird side project like that show is unlike anything that either you or i do yeah apart Mm. like it it has just become a thing where we're just making each other laugh yeah and and i I think that's (laughs) you really try to worry each other in the laughter the twin peaks stuff is but maybe my favorite thing of like of all the podcast stuff i've ever done is maybe my favorite thing i've ever done because by the end of that we were just we were too far gone. We joked about it at the time when we finished Twin Peaks. It got to the point where I I didn't know how to interact with the world. You know what I mean? I just felt like yeah. I felt like a Lynchian character. 
I just felt like I was, you know, I was out of sorts. Maybe just an iota and a phase shift out of alignment with everyone else, um, and like, like trying to crack jokes. Well, try to try like repeating one-liners from the show and realizing that no one understands what I'm on about. Um, yeah, and, and, and we we've done lots of things, and like obviously, like we're, we're currently gearing ourselves up for True Detective. But in terms of the pitch, it's basically this: True Detective season three is coming January seventeenth or nineteenth, I think it is. Um, and when that starts up on Legion Podcast Network, Duncan and Bo, come correct, we'll be tackling. Detective season three week on week with mm-hmm. in-depth analysis and conjecture because that's my favorite thing is when we try and guess where things are going to go and sometimes we're right on the money and sometimes we couldn't be any further uh, right if it was possible you know we were so far wrong as to the point where this is almost embarrassing yeah i've got a pretty good track record and as soon as we get the final zoom out in westworld <laughs> to show that it's a spaceship i'm gonna be a perfect <laughs> <laughs> perfect percent yep yep um, yeah i think we're gonna yeah, yeah, yeah. for that <laughs> so uh, you know yes uh, uh, people should listen to that show because it's ridiculous nice right that's has done a bit of chat about the genre that's has chatted a little bit about the hard great work we do for free for people on duncan and Bocum, correct and we have two movies that it's going to be fun to discuss. So we're going to take a very short break. You're going to hear promos for shows that I love. You are going to hear the trailer for our first movie review. You selected it. We're going to do it. When it was selected, I went, oh, no. Um, that's my Christmas joke for this episode. It doesn't get much better than this, I'm afraid. Uh, <laughs> ho, ho, horror, Duncan. Yeah, ho, ho, horror. Uh, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna be discussing Piranha 3D from 2010, directed by um, a little guy called Alexander Aja. Myself and Bo coming right back to discuss that movie right after this. Hey, feeling down? Feeling low? Not enough podcasts about movies in your life? Why not try? They must be destroyed on sight. The new podcast cure all sure to get you right with the world and on a path to better living. We have exploitation, we have Italian horror, we have zombies, we have slashers, we have crime films, we have spaghetti westerns, we even have sci-fi and sex comedies. So take a dose of... They must be destroyed on sight! As needed, and let the hosts, Lee Russell, Daniel Harper, Paul Romali, and the odd guest host, cure what ails you. Warning, may cause atrophy. African consumption, black fever, bone shave, chin puff, colic, cramp colic, dropsy of the brain, elephantitis, grocer's itch, jaundice, mania, miasma, mortification, palsy, pox disease, rheumatism, scurvy, St. Anthony's fire, summer complaint, and worm fit in some people. Consult a physician before listening. See that gap right there? Yeah. Quake opened that up. Now it's a connecting passage. Descending fissure. Oh my god. It's at least 200 feet, Novak. Sam? Something bit me! Sam, what are you seeing down there? Oh my god. Sam! Ah! 
looks like this body's been in the water for weeks. I want to know what the hell this thing is doing in my lake. Is that a piranha? This particular piranha vanished two million years ago. I'm thinking about closing the lake. There's us and there's 20,000 kids. You do the math. <laughs> has declared an emergency. Don't worry, we got P over here! Piranha hunt in packs. The first bite draws blood. The blood draws the pack. And welcome back. So, let's do this. You've just heard the trailer for Piranha 3D from 2010. Directed by Alexander Azure. Um, and kind of, can we say... Well, it is supposed to be a sequel. No, it's supposed to be a remake of the 1970s Joe Dante. Uh, Roger Corman produced Piranha. Um, Which is a great movie as well. I fucking love that movie more than I should, but I love that movie. I think that, if memory serves, that's the first proper studio movie by Joe Dante. I think he'd done other bits and bobs, but I think that's his first proper studio credit. And yeah, after watching that movie, I can see why he went on to do great things. Um, you know, I think he's great. However, we were talking about movies that make money. Um, and to put things into perspective for this one, According to the IMDb's, this uh, cost about 24 million to make, um, and by the end of it, its cumulative worldwide gross was about 83. So it's not a runaway success, but it made its money. Made its sure. money. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It did, it did, it did, it did what I had to do and got out. Uh, the movie itself uh, stars. Unfortunately, they always do this in, in, in billing order even though some of these guys are rolling it for seconds. Uh, so we have uh, Richard Dreyfus, Bing Rames, Elizabeth Shue, Christopher Lloyd, Eli Roth, Jerry O'Connell, Stephen R. McQueen, Jessica Shore... That's how you pronounce that. Kelly Brook, sure. Riley Steele, Adam Scott, um, and some other folks. Let's jump ahead. Synopsis for this one. <laughs> Here we go. After a sudden underwater tremor sets free scores of prehistoric man-eating fish, an unlikely group of strangers must band together to stop themselves from becoming fish food for the area's new razor tooth residents. Um, I said there was a funny story behind this. It's probably not that funny, but the first time I saw Piranha 3D was at the cinema. So it's UK premiere release that was on on release day release night Friday night I uh, got boozed up with some friends went to the cinema watched Piranha 3D came out and proclaimed this as oh this is top tier best of the year this is amazing told everyone like phone friends phone family you know phone the like, relatives I haven't spoken to in years this is a great fucking movie get out watch Piranha 3D 
and then I caught it about a year and a half later and I did not like it much at all and then realised that maybe the alcohol had something to do with it. Um, yeah, I was pensive about approaching this for a third time. Had you seen this many times? Is this a one and done for you before this viewing or is this one that you've seen a couple of times? Oh no, I've seen this several times. Uh, I've probably seen this and I'm probably creeping up to a half dozen. Hmm. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. quite a lot but what about a sequel uh, yeah. uh i've i've never seen it I, <laughs> yeah i know i heard it was real shit and i was like ah i don't i don't need to see that yeah when you release a movie called piranha 3 double d that's when my interest like drops on that right but now what well, we're now just the, the movie is the brunt of the joke i'm not interested you know what I mean? Right. Where where it's like, oh, David Hasselhoff makes a cameo. It's like, I I don't need to see Sharknado for that reason either. Yeah, so. like David, David Hasselhoff makes a cameo. If I want to see a David Hasselhoff horror comedy tragedy, I will watch that drunk man eat a burger off the floor. That's what I'll do. That's, that's, all, that's all the horror comedy that I need in my life. I don't need to watch Piranha 3 Double D. But let me... Let me just tell you something, Duncan. <laughs> Davy H here. Um, oh, boy. I'll tell you what. When you're eating a double bacon cheeseburger at 3.08 in the morning, you, uh, you're you going to want some Vaseline. This thing's coming out in one big painful lump. <laughs> oh, you're going to want to grease them skits, is what I'm saying. <laughs> Just listen to your old pal, Davey H. Sorry. <laughs> speaking of, like, speaking of, well, we're talking about, like, ridiculous casts. If we just look at Richard Dreyfuss, who's is purely in here as a wink and a nudge to the audience. And I'm all right, right. with that. I'm f- unlike, fine that. Unlike the Meg Duncan. That yeah. could not go five minutes without being like, Joel's right. That's yeah. my Jason Statham for some reason. Um, You've kind of made him Australian. I'm not sure why, but that's okay. <laughs> you are aware he's English. You are aware of that, aren't you? I, I'm aware of that, but I also associate him with Wolf Creek for some reason. I can't. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I, I've heard you speak about the Meg. Um, I can't disagree with what you said. All I can say is I had more fun than you at the cinema with it. Yeah, I, and I don't dislike the Meg entirely. Yeah. I, I just don't think it's all that great. And, it's and not one a of the great things, movie. And one of the things I dislike is it's like, oh, they do this one little nod to Jaws. And you're like, oh, okay, that's funny. Well done. You know, a tip of the chapeau. Well done. <laughs> you, you you knelt at the altar of Jaws and that's what you needed. And, uh, and then it was like, oh, there's another reference to Jaws. Huh. And then, oh boy, there's another one. <laughs> um, fuck. I should watch Jaws. Yeah, that's your uh, and, danger. And, There's a thin line between nodding and paying your respects to something and making you remember how much better that movie is over yours. Right, and I think that the fact, the way that this opening scene works with Richard Dreyfus, who I think went on record at one point, or either that or I made it up, maybe. That could have happened. Where he said, <laughs> Well, when you uh, say it, it's on record, bro, so that's fine. It's recorded, it's so it's now officially on record. I believe he said that he was playing that character as Matt Hooper 
um, <laughs> of, of having retired to this lake. And but that's the joke, right? Is that it's Matt Hooper on a boat, beer in the water, singing "Show Me the Way to Go Home," and he ends up being killed by Piranha. And um, and it's cool. Like it, it is the tip of the hat in one. Like yes, it's one whole scene of the movie, but yeah. it's also sort of like we're gonna set the tone for this. Like it's gonna be unnecessarily gory in the first five minutes to let you know that this movie loves to be unnecessarily gory. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I I think it. The Dreyfus scene, I could understand if somebody was like, fuck you, Jaws is perfect, and why is Dreyfus slumming it in this piece of shit? I guess I get that, but I, I thought it was really fun and kind of knowing without being... Like, the rest of the movie, it doesn't really wear its jaw shit on its sleeve anymore. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't have to. It doesn't have to be on that, but I think right. there's one bit, like, where... I mean, there, 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 you know, there's obviously the, the obligatory police trying to get people out of the water as they party... Um, and with someone getting grabbed, and then I think one of them said, someone in the water screamed shark because they don't understand prana. Because why would they? Um, but yeah, I, I, like that sort of stuff, I'm fine with that. Uh, but like from a cast point of view, Ving Rames, uh, Christopher Lloyd, kind of making a return after I want to say he hadn't done much. Now, this is me showing my ignorance. I want to say he hadn't really done much for a while before reappearing in here, and then he hasn't really done much since. He's obviously in. Um, I'm not a serial killer, which yeah. I love. I think he's great in that, and he, he is the, he, the my only com, my only instant complaint with Christopher Lloyd being cast in this movie is there isn't enough of him. Like he's like like instantly to me straight away the character that I want to spend the most time with because he's just fucking mental uh, and exaggerated and animated. And he's once again he is playing ostensibly a character he has played before as well. Um, you know what I mean? That's, that's what he's doing. Okay. Some. He was literally in everything all the time. He has never taken a break. Like, he may not be getting hired in the bigger... Uh, well, bigger, no. Uh, the, the way I'm saying it is like that. For a guy like Christopher Lloyd, who at one point was... Was a big deal, right? Uh-huh. For him to disappear and then start to appear in genre movies, which a lot of actors do... In fact, that used to be the way they used to do things, is all these actors would eventually quote-unquote slum it in the horror genre when they wouldn't be hired anymore. It just seems it seems weird. And I, I've been looking at his credits here, and yeah, you're saying he's working, but it's a whole lot of things like voice acting and TV shows sure. I've never heard of. So, that's all I'm saying, Bo. Although he was in The West Wing. Yeah. Apparently. I can't remember that. Yeah, King of the and Hill, and... It's a whole lot of voice... He was in. He was in the Tremors TV show. There was a Tremors TV show. Oh, it took me a second to understand that you were saying Tremors. Yes. Not. What did you think I was saying? Tremors. I was like, <laughs> who the fuck are the Tremors? It's a. It is a series of. Uh, it's like a whole species of Kramers um, who live underground. <laughs> it's just like a pair uh, of going ha. Um, so, it's the story. It's the off offshoot series based on Halloween, where we explore the life of Ben Tramer, the boyfriend that Lori wants that we never meet. Yep, and this it's is just true. the Ben. There Tramer was a Tremors TV show. I did not know this. There was one season in two thousand and three, uh, and it ran for thirteen episodes. Apparently, 
Ah, well. You live and you learn, Bo. You live and in, you learn. But yeah, Christopher Lloyd. you do. Yeah, Christopher Lloyd's in this. Um, and they like, <laughs> dating this movie movie horribly is Jerry O'Connell, uh, who's in this one. Oh. You get a little, a little cameo. What's, oh, oh, go for it. Do it. I, I was going to say, Jerry O'Connell is really good at being unlikable in this movie. Oh, I so think is, good at it. I think he is perfect for this role. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally, totally. There, there are a few things that give me as much joy as watching his little spindly non-legs wiggle as he talks about how his penis is gone. <laughs> like, there are a few things <laughs> that make really me as happy. It like, is it my penis? And I'm just like, yeah, this is fucking great. <laughs> The fact that he's got these little, like you said, these scrawny, like, Monty Python legs <laughs> is so hysterical, man. That's uh, one of the things I, I dearly love about this movie is that it's got a really anarchic sense of humor. Oh, yeah. That I really respond to. I think it's I, when it is at its worst, uh, yeah. it, the movie is at its best. I think, in a lot of respects, that's the one aspect that it takes. In terms of remakes, I don't think it's particularly a good remake of Piranha because I think Piranha's a fucking great movie. But it carries that anarchic spirit over clearly because I like I revisited Piranha a couple of years ago. Um, I want to say it was for something for maybe Graveshift, uh, and it was the first time I'd seen it in years. And sitting down, I was like, this movie really doesn't give a fuck. You know what I mean? This is just a movie that that wants to yeah that wants to make the people in it and the audience suffer, but not in a way where it's like unpleasant to the point that you won't be able to enjoy the rest of your day. But just it's like that, just like yeah, everyone's everyone's getting bitten in this movie, and you just have to accept that. And now look, there's kids in the water, um, you know what I mean? And if anything, this movie, from a remake perspective, it gets that right. Yeah, it does it a bit more comical, but it gets that right. And it ages up the kids that get eaten. Like in the original Piranha, it, like there are some like twelve-year-olds. Oh yeah, <laughs> that get yeah. murdered on screen, yeah. and and it's it's yeah, it's a nasty little movie. While you know, Dick Miller looks on. God, that movie is really good. It's really um, good. <laughs> and uh, is it Barbara Steele? Is that yeah, Barbara, St- Barbara Steele was yeah. in that fucking movie. Yeah, like, that cast list in that movie that. is fucking nuts as well, man. Honestly. Oh yeah, like Keenan Wynn as the old man whose legs get eaten off. That's a mm. great scene. Oh, he must have dragged himself up from the dock. You yeah. know, like all that oh, stuff so is good. so great. And uh, so yeah, like it does have the same spirit. Uh, although it, it, believe it or not, I think this movie, even though it, it's gorier, definitely is uh, a, a little a little safer. A film, yeah, well, yeah, because there are plenty of opportunities to go unsafe in the movie, and it doesn't take them. It teases them, but it doesn't take them. Um, and I would agree with that. I, I think it kind of speaks to the time in the audience as well, um, and just how cinema is. Um, so let's 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 get into this, Bo, because uh, yes, we're yes, kind of yes. we're we're jumping all about the place, and I, I like that. Uh, I like to do reviews that way, but let's let's get a bit more in depth. So basically, the premise of this one is like the synopsis says: we're in this. Um, I'm going to say lake because I think that's what it's supposed to be, um, and it's a spring break, maybe, 
and yeah there's some sort of tectonic plate shift which causes um, a rupture very mm. once again very similar to the Meg um, which which brings back these prehistoric piranha who have laid dormant in isolation and they wreak vengeance on everyone in the water which is a lot of people um, and then uh, yeah it's ultimately this family who kind of come together to to try and save the day question mark uh, in between that we have a lot of goofiness uh, we have Christopher Lloyd as a kind of piranha expert who just so happens to have a immaculate uh, fossil of this prehistoric piranha yeah sure Christopher <laughs> What is his job again? Like that's one of those things I was never clear on. It looks it like, like he works in a. It looks like he works in a pet store and sells fish. And that was a bit because like his character, according to IMDb, is Mister Carl Goodman. So not Doctor Carl Goodman, Mister Carl, not Professor Carl Goodman, Mister Carl Goodman. So I think he just owns a pet store because he has right. a lot of fish tanks. Piranha enthusiast. Yeah. <laughs> You know, like, and again, like, put it connecting the the narrative dots is not the point of this movie, so yes. I don't get too bent out of shape about it. But I, I was thinking about it last night when I was watching it again. Like, hey, what does he do again? Yeah, like he's not working for the state. I don't think. I is he just a weirdo who lives in town? I think that's what he is. Yeah, I think so. I think so. The, the kind of way he gets this brought in, and he's like that. He's like. Marty, I mean Novak, because he doesn't know what movie he's in, and he's like, uh -huh. you know, like he, he literally says like that, you know, this piranha hasn't been seen for two million years, and you're like, well, one, how do we know that? Two, you know, what I mean, like, mm. you seem very, very keen on that, and it, like, how do you know that? Oh, that's right, because you have this, this kind of mounted immaculate fossil, and it's so cheesy. And I, I know what they're doing, but it's like wink, wink, nudge, nudge at the audience all the way through this as he puts it down, and the piranha head just kind of ekes out so you can see the shape against it. And I'm like, really? Is that uh -huh. what we're doing? Is that what we're doing here? But yeah, so like they, they go at him, he advises them, and then it's a, a kind of race to stop them, stop the piranha. But obviously, there's spring break happening, so you get your wink, wink, nudge, nudge, jaws stuff. Um, and the movie's bloody and it's vicious. Uh, but like you see, it's not vicious as in going for the audience's jugular. It's vicious in a kind of gleeful clap your hands. You're going to get to see some fun shit. Um, I will tell you this, Bo. I saw this movie, like I say, at the cinema, 2010. Loved it. Saw it circa 2011, 2012. Hated it. I am somewhere in the middle now with it. I, I did laugh a lot with this movie today. Um, I did smile at certain bits. I cringed at a lot of it. And my big issue is the CGI has not aged well. Really, really, really hasn't aged well. Yeah. And, and they I, rely I, on it a lot in this movie, whereas I can forgive yeah. like Placid, which is 10 years older, and the CGI is aging about the same. <laughs> like, and it's 10 years earlier. So, right. And, and there's also the benefit in Lake Placid of a bit more puppet work. Yes, at times. definitely, and, definitely. And so, like doing the Jurassic Park of like, well, let's do puppets sometimes in CG, sometimes and yes. try to blend them together as seamlessly as possible. 
And yeah, and I, part of the problem is the the movie is designed to be in 3D. One of the reasons I've seen it so many times is that I have a 3D television, ah. and this is a great movie to watch in 3D. Yeah, because I remember and, loving it at the cinema in, in 3D, like thinking the 3D was done. Because this is during this kind of weird, kind of I want to say golden era of 3D horror movies, where we have got things like Drive Angry and uh, My Bloody Valentine 3D. Where Final like Destination the, was in. There. Yeah, yeah, where, where the 3D, the movies weren't necessarily the greatest movies, but the 3D was actually done really well for horror fans. Like, they captured that idea of, well, we're not, it's not a Friday the 13th Part 3, if you know what I mean, where it's like, let me wave this thing in front of the camera for five minutes so you get the money worth of wearing these fucking stupid glasses. And, like, actually, the, the, the shots were designed to be specifically good kind of tongue-in-cheek scares or like deliberate jump scares or like really cool effects for the audience at the time that doesn't necessarily translate well when you don't have the glasses yeah and it, it, it really is remarkable that there was a period there that seemed like it was almost a tipping point yeah where it's like oh well in three years every movie will have a 3d version and a you, 2d version you remember and, that you remember how how hard they pushed 3d tvs this is yeah. what you like the, the gaming industry will be 3d everything will be 3d and within like two years after that it was like well yeah we're still putting movies out in 3d but you know it's not getting a 3d release on blu-ray why would we Which, do that? <laughs> yeah, that that sucks because like I've got the original Guardians of the Galaxy on on Blu-ray in 3D, and that's really mm-hmm. cool. Jurassic Park in 3D is really cool. Kicking back in the recliner and watching that in 3D, shit, it's must awesome. Go faster, must go faster. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> must must go in more dimensions. Um, <laughs> but yeah, and and this was at the time when it was like, oh, it's not crazy for this movie to be in 3d because eventually every movie will be in 3d and people will have 3d tvs and it'll be like having a color tv you know um and that's just not how it all panned out and you know went the way of the betamax but it it was really cool and but it affects it affects the effects uh because they were so clearly designed for 3d that the cg looks even fakier because of that and then you take away the 3d that makes that stuff kind of okay then you know yeah it's unfortunate but i've seen it in 3d you know probably three times and every time i watch i'm like his dick was floating in this (laughs) you know like it's it it leans into its 3d gags in a really fun way yeah, yeah. Well, let's let's talk about specific set pieces in in the movie that I think are done really, really, really well. Um, okay. And I think I think one of them specifically is the guy. So they send the expedition. Uh, Novak, played by Adam Scott, sends his expedition down of these two divers, uh, and one of them like they they go kind of through this fissure and continue moving down, and the the first one finds the eggs. And he starts getting attacked, and then the woman tries to help him, and she starts getting attacked. And we have this manic dash as Adam Scott's character tries to get her out of the water, and they pull her up, and they've pulled the body out, and then they're interacting, but they haven't turned around to see what's left. Um, and they turn around, and she is basically she's like a skeleton from you know Temple of Doom, um, uh-huh. like she's like fucking just like r- gone, like completely emaciated, skin removed, like this gnarly bloody bony 
body. It's, it's a I think it's a great Fulci level oh, totally effect. Is. It totally is. And I love that. You know, I love that. I love the fact that it's all this mania. T- you think when she's been pulled out that maybe she's okay. Uh, and even they, like the prolongment, the, the, the use of not turning that camera straight away to see the body is great because we get that small interaction with what was down there, I don't know, and all the rest, and we turn around and see what's left. I think that's great. And when the movie does stuff like this, I want to see that's more of the Azure stuff coming out. Like, because that's just what I can equate him to. Like, the kind of a guy who knows his horror, a guy who would pay homage to someone like a Fulci. However, I love scenes like that. I think where the movie kind of topples over is the stuff which is kind of out with his control, which is the CGI stuff. Um, yeah. Where, you know, he has no control over that because that's he's paid someone to do that. He's just said, fill yeah. this scene with, you know, a really bad... The same scene, actually, uh, the woman's eyeball, CGI eyeball, is floating towards the screen, obviously a 3D effect, and the prana nabs it. Um, and I'm like, that you have basically... You've given me gold... And then it was shit. Um, what about right. you? Is, is there a scene that kind of springs out to mind as being like, you know, this is where this movie really shines? Um, yeah, well, sure. Uh, th- that scene, I think, is fun. My favorite part of that scene is actually when the guy, uh, the first dude through the cavern yes. is looking around at, at all the eggs. And it's one of those things of like, wait a second. Do I hear a bunch of fish behind me? <laughs> like turns around with this lantern, like all the piranha are just like hanging out there. Hello. Like, yeah, like <laughs> all right, we're gonna sneak up on them. And Gary, so help me, every time we try this, you go in for a bite. So you, you stay the fuck behind the line until you hear someone say go. Yep. You understand me, Gary? All right, all right. Sneak up on him, and yeah, and like they do, they just like you know. Like if there were xylophone music being played real fast, (laughs) where they're just like, you know, tippy-toeing up behind him. I think that's really funny and stupid in a way that I really love. Um, Ah, I've been been bitten, and the guy's like, Gary, for fuck's sake, and the camera pans around, and there's just a bit of glove hanging at Gary's lip. He's like, what? It was me. I didn't do it, and I was here. God damn it, Gary. We've been in this cave for two million years. We get one chance to try this. Fuck it up for everybody. <laughs> Fuck. We're eating you later, Gary. Believe that. Um, but I, so I, I, I like this scene quite a bit. Um, it's worth pointing out. I, I have uh, a long-standing crush on Elizabeth Shue, who uh, I, I think adds some much-needed like straight mannery to this movie. Because every other character, the family characters in general are pretty grounded, but the Jerry O'Connell character is just so fucking unhinged. Yeah. uh, You know something bad's going to happen to him, and I think the payoff to what happens to him is great. Because he's he's a particular level of fucking douchebaggery that him being sucked into the water and then we just see blood coming up is not enough for everything that character has put us through. We need that scene of my penis. That's what we need. He is on camera. His his dick is eaten by piranha. Yep. Or fought over by piranha, then eaten by one piranha that then belches up the dick so yep. that it can float in the middle of the, the camera. When Again, when you're watching this in 3D, it's just floating right in front of your face. Big old <laughs> half-eaten dick. 
<laughs> and and it's hilarious. I again, I think that stuff is there is a, a rebel rebel kind of sensibility to that that I really like. Um, I think that's good. And obviously, the, I mean, the big centerpiece scene is the uh, the attack um at the you know spring break extravaganza yeah. or whatever at the lake and it's it's really good i mean it's incredibly gory there are some great gags both i would argue there is some pretty good cg in this scene yeah yeah i would uh, agree with that and uh but there's a ton of really good practical gags too and it it, it all blends together really well it's really funny eli roth shows up speaking of him yeah, be the carnival barker style yeah. you know kind of you know mc of a wet t-shirt contest which i don't think is that much of a stretch from kind of yeah. who eli roth is i think he may have done this before <laughs> right unironically hosted uh, a wet t-shirt contest but you know all that stuff works pretty well i think it's really funny when bing rames is like hey we gotta shut down the beaches and you're gonna say to yourselves I can I can jump back in that water, but that's just pride fucking with you. Uh, <laughs> and I want to watch this. I still am surprised at the kill off that character. You know I mean? I, but but it's kind of great that they do too. Oh uh, yeah, it's, it's totally it totally subverts the expectation. Um, and he's got like big rames. He's just so. He's just so cool, you know. What I mean, all yeah. the time he's just so cool. I love that. Ca- I do really like that. I think the cast is really good. I love the fact that we're talking about like Eli Roth playing Mister Dishy Wet T-shirt host, and his death is brilliant. It's like a proper practical head explosion. Yeah, death. Yeah, and I'm like, yeah, that's that's how you kill Eli Roth in this movie. I like that. Y- yeah, there, there's a ton of stuff to like about the scene overall. Uh, what I was going to say about that uh, Bing Raim scene is when he's like, you know, that's probably fucking with you. Don't get in the water. Uh, there's, uh, there, there's a big problem. And somebody in the background yells, it's okay. We've got more beer. Yeah. And then everybody starts jumping in the water again. And I, th- I, I love it because it's like, what a bunch of dumbass kids. Let's watch yeah. them get ed up like they fucking deserve. And (laughs) one of the things I like about animal attack movies, uh, Duncan, is that the animals aren't picking and choosing their meals. They're just eating whomever, Mm -hmm. generally speaking. But we as viewers, Duncan, we know that the piranha are coming. And when we see a real asshole on screen, it's like, (laughs) I I can't wait for the piranha to eat him. Yeah, you know he's going to go. (laughs) Yeah. He's definitely going, and I'm going to enjoy it. And that's part of the fun of this. And and this movie does a good job of, like, these are obviously your heroes. These are obviously your villains. And here, here we go. You know, it's going to be gory. It's going to be silly. It's going to be often goofy. Um, I'll tell you, man, I love the, uh, the underwater lesbian ballet scene. I think that's another scene that's just like, I can't believe this made it into the final cut. I can't like believe there's movie. as many boobs in this movie, considering it's 2010. Yeah, it is. It is outrageously nude friendly. Yeah, but it, oh, again, yeah. it it does it in a way. It's kind of like um, you know we were talking about this movie before the show began, but like Zombievers yes. is a movie that will will throw in a little a little boobage when you kind of don't expect it. Mm-hmm. But it's also the tone of the movie. 
of just like eh, we're just throwing everything at the fucking wall man we got eyeballs being gobbled up dicks being eaten sure there are some boobs if that's what caught your attention so be <laughs> it i mean there is a buffet of shit to look at in this film and the least of it is the nudity yeah um and that's kind of uh, the approach uh, i think this movie takes is it you know it never feels uh, necessarily exploitative. It's, you know, kind of fitting the, the character and everything. And also just the tone of the movie. Um, you know, at times I, I feel like I can be even overly sensitive to that stuff. Um, just because, it you know, as someone who has written movies that were made, it's something you think about where you're like, do I want somebody to get naked so that yeah. the world can <laughs> jerk off to them uh, for this scene, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so... Yeah, I tend to be sensitive to it. I, I I don't think there's anything in this movie that feels like it, it's done mean spiritedly. It's yeah. all just too goofy to to be taken too seriously. And um, yeah, I just I, I I adore the the silliness of it. that that spring break sequence is fucking great, man. The girl's hair that's wrapped up in the propeller and the top half of her skull just gets ripped off when the propeller starts. Mm-hmm. It's fucking good, Duncan. That's what yeah, I, there are moments that's what I get, horror movies for. Yeah, there, there's 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 moments that really that get me behind it. Um, and yeah, like had you asked me uh, yesterday when we were recording before I'd sat by down to watch Prana 3D, um, what I would have graded from the last time I'd watched it, which, like I say, is you know shy of what six six and a half years ago. I would have uh-huh. told you it, it would have got a one. I hated it. I, I really did. I couldn't understand the purpose of the movie, why it was there, and why it didn't do anything for me. I have now watched it again, and I would comfortably come down with a three for this movie. It's a three. I like it. I, I can't go any higher than that. Um, but from the starting position, I went into it. Uh, I, I purely expected to, to rip on this. The issues I have are. I think some of them are explained by the fact that I'm watching a 2D copy and not a 3D copy and the movie was made for 3D audience it was made for 3D cinema it wasn't made for 2D cinema so you know you have to take those things into consideration I do think some of the CGI hasn't aged well um, I do think some of the, the effects aren't great um, and yeah I'm like you I, I kind of think the movie could get away with being a bit meaner without sacrificing the overall tone of it um, but yeah, it's a fun movie. Uh, it, it doesn't it doesn't try to be. Any, well, it's like we said earlier on. It, it doesn't try to be anything that isn't. It knows what it is, and it knows its place. It tries to do it. His biggest crime in cinema is that I do think this is ground zero for your short needle movies and all the rest. Um, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Had it had it known beforehand that that's what would have spurred. Um, I don't know if uh, Alexander Asia would have made it. Uh, I really, really don't. Um, and we're on like six of those Shark Needle movies or whatever the fuck we're on now. And God knows how or many Mega Croc versus fucking Eagle Thor. Um, I don't, like. I don't know. There's, there's just there's loads of them out there, and I do think this is the catalyst for a lot of it because I think it sets it a very convincing template of how to use not the greatest CGI. Uh, in a movie form and what you need to do to do it and it's easily replicatable uh, which they've done um, so yeah that's kind of where I land with it what would you grade it Netflix gradings 1 through 5 0.5s are allowed where, where would you give Prana 3D 
Yeah, I, I come in a little higher uh, than you, Duncan, uh, because of the reaver. Um, <laughs> no, sorry. Um, no, I, I think I probably enjoyed this movie a little bit more. I, I I do think it's dated for sure. Yeah. And I and that's not going to improve. Like, this is a movie that is not going to age well with time. But it is really silly in a way that I like a, a, a lot. And it's gleefully gory in a way that uh, I really enjoy. So um, I'd give it a three and a half. You know, right. like it's a movie you can't take too seriously. It's not high art or anything, but it's a great drive-in movie. You know, it's kind of what the first one was, except this exists in a world where you can have, I guess you could have in the original, but um, you know, like this isn't as high-minded in a way as the original uh, Piranha is. Yeah. This one's just like, hey, look, look at this guy's face being ripped off. Hey, here are some boobs. Oh, what? Somebody's dick being eaten, you say? You know, like there's always kind of something happening with this movie. And and like there's plenty of deaths. You, you could probably sit down and go through a catalog of like, oh, yeah, that was cool when, you know, the piranha came out of the lady's mouth or whatever. You know, like there's enough of that stuff happening all over the place that it it keeps it keeps things moving mm-hmm. uh, in, in a way that, you know, you need to do. If you're a grindhouse movie, don't let your character sit around talking too much. And this movie doesn't do that to its credit. Nice, nice. Right, we've got one more movie to discuss. The people chose it along beside this one. This is the one I was actually more excited to discuss. And yeah, when I watched it back, I was I was more than pleasantly surprised. Uh, we are going to discuss Lake Placid, but we have to take a break first. You're going to hear promos for Aww. shows that I love. Yeah, <laughs> uh, you're going to hear uh, the trailer for Lake Placid from 1999. Feels like so long ago, but are you aware that this movie is almost 20 years old? Oh my god. Yeah, oh. next year's the, the classic. It becomes a classic next year. Fuck my life, man. Fuck my life. Uh, yeah, so you're going to hear the trailer for it. When we come back, myself and Bo are going to be discussing that movie, and we're going to be doing it right after this. This is a test of the emergency podcasting system. Listen to the Psychosemantic Podcast. Politics, movies, and political movies. Find us on Facebook, iTunes, Stitcher, legionpodcasts.com, the Psychosemantic Podcast. It has existed since prehistoric times. It was worshipped by primitive cultures. It can kill a man with one crushing bite. We heard a man was bit in half. Any recent bear attacks? Bears don't attack people underwater. Probably a fever then. What was that? Whatever's out there being shot with this is dead. Oh no. (laughs) Sheriff, how many deputies you got? Help you find it. We can't let him kill it. Experience a few parts mystery. Do you have any theories of why he's here? Honestly, I don't know. And a few parts <laughs> missing. It's a human toe. Is this the man who was killed? He seemed taller. Oh my god. 
Bill Pullman. Shoot him! No! How much of a wacko is this guy? Bridget Fonda. Mother! Oliver Platt. Maybe swam back out! Maybe not! I just have this feeling everything's totally safe. This summer, the Earth's oldest creature has just found a new home. Lake Placid. And welcome back. So you've just heard the trailer for a second and final movie review of this December's Listener Choice selection for your dream double bill. We've already tackled Piranha 3D. It's time to turn our attention to Lake Placid from 1999. Directed by Steve Miner, who was, this is basically the movie he did right after Halloween H2O. So right out of that, riding high, straight into Lake Placid and then went straight to TV. And that's pretty much what he's done since. Right into that TV, got that TV money quick, uh-huh. and has, has been living off it. Very busy guy, actually, um, just doing TV stuff. A lot, once again, a lot of it I'm not familiar with, but he's doing it. He's out there doing it, Bo. He's fucking doing it. You know, it. yeah, God bless him, man. It's, it's a hard business to, to work in at all, much less for that long. So, you know, yeah. gotta be doing something right. Yeah, I totally agree. Now, this movie. Is written by David E. Kelly. And it has a fucking great cast. I mean, this is just a... a let me shake the person who did casting for this movie's hand uh, and buy them a pint. This movie has Bill Pullman. Um, it also has Bridget Fonda. How she is in this movie, that's the thing that blows my mind. Uh, more than pretty much anyone else is how Bridget Fonda ended up in this movie. Uh, Oliver Platt... Brendan Gleeson, Betty White, and we've got David Lewis, Tim Dixon, some other folks. We're not going to spend too much time talking about them. So this is for this one. Again, nice, short and sweet. This is three people attempt to stop a gigantic crocodile who is terrorising residents in Black Lake, Maine. Now, Bo, I saw this movie once before revisiting it for this show. I saw this movie circa 2000 slash maybe 2001 when I started work in the video store that I would work in for a year and a half. Um, this movie had just been released on VHS and I, like we got to see them if you worked in a video store, the movies came in on a Wednesday uh, for official release on the Friday and when they came in on a Wednesday you could watch them, you could go away and take them. And watch them, and I remember taking a copy of Lake Placid to go and watch, and and enjoying it. I thought it was a good movie. I had a lot of fun with it, but I have never had any urge to return to it. And I only recently found out that we're on what the sixth one come out this year, which uh, just seems like a lot the, of movies. The final chapter was in 2012, yep. so that may have been a lie. Yes. So then they did a crossover with the Anaconda franchise, which once again I didn't know was a franchise. There's oh, wow. five of them. There's Lake, yeah, Pla- Lake Placid Lake- versus Anaconda. Okay. I'm and then you. they've got one out this year. There's a new one out this year. 
Wow. So, yeah. So, yeah. All right. Well, I guess I have work to do. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, I never. I don't know why I never wanted to come back. I always have just a fond memory of I saw the movie, but never wanted to go back to. It. So when it was picked, I was like, oh, I suppose you know. At least I know I kind of like this one. Uh, let's see if it holds up. And I think within like five minutes, I posted on Facebook, like having watched this like that. Brendan Gleeson's in this, and I, I said it out loud in the living room. I was like, Brendan Gleeson's in this fucking movie. Like I could not remember Brendan Gleeson being in this movie at all. And if you listen to Duncan and Bo come correct, you know that both myself and Bo are big Gleeson heads. We love a little bit of the Gleeson. Nice. Yeah, it's like, a national treasure. It, yeah, yes, to the nation he comes from, not America. Um, he is he's like he's a fucking great actor, just a great character actor, but just a great actor in general. Uh, but then, like, I knew there was a woman in the movie, but I, you know, I didn't realize it was Bridget Fonda, an actress who, once again, who's maybe fallen upon slightly harder times. Uh, for, for casting but an actress who I genuinely think is a fucking great actress as well loved a lot of the stuff she put out in the very late 80s and right through the 90s all of her plot is comedy fucking gold I mean like comedy comedy royalty for me in movies uh, Betty White like I remember that's pretty much the only thing I could remember about this movie is that line if I had a dick this is where I'd tell you to suck it which is maybe mm-hmm. one of the greatest lines ever um an instantly forgettable Bill, Bill Pullman, who turns in, I'm sorry to say, an instantly forgettable role in this movie. He's the, he's the, why are you surrounded by greatness, Bill Pullman? Um, I, I don't know, I don't hate Bill Pullman either. I just don't think he is remarkable enough in pretty much anything he does to make him stand out. Like, I, I, I couldn't, re- I remember recording a review about The Grudge and then we talked about the remake, and I could not fucking, for the life of me, remember he was in that movie. And granted, he's not in it much, but I would have put down... Like, if I'd been on, like, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, and that had come up, and the choices were, you know, who is in the Grudge remake? Bill Pullman, Oliver Platt, Brendan Gleeson, and Betty White, I would have chose the other three before I chose Bill Pullman. Like, because I'm just like, I can't remember, like, was he in that movie? I don't know. Like, yeah, literally, yeah, I'd have more chance to remember a mannequin than about him. <laughs> remember when he was in Sleepless in Seattle? You don't? Yeah. You know? Like, yeah. He, he pops up. Uh, I, I would argue that uh, on the the center. Oh, that but he's, he's great in the center. He is great yeah. in the center. Um, but it's because he is... Very unbuilt Pullman esque, if you know what I mean. He has weird quirks that I, I think make him a memorable character. Where I think a lot of his roles, and that's not his fault, but a lot of the roles he plays are just not memorable roles. You know, the characters themselves are just a bit beige. Uh, and I just always associate him that way. But the cast in this is fucking great. This is, this is like, this is a cast list which is maybe almost not worthy. It's maybe too good to be in a schlocky alligator movie. And I right. love the fact that all of them give it their all. There ain't no yeah. one phoning in any... any, And that's I think that's what makes this movie work for me. Not the alligator stuff. All that stuff's cool. But the fact that everyone is... Everyone is turning in a performance here. No one is just like, well, this is my paycheck to get me to my next job. 
Well, I literally think everyone does great in this movie. Love it. Yeah, I my I my problem with the movie uh, at at its core is that I don't care about Bill Pullman or Bridget Fonda in this no, movie yeah. at all. Yeah, I only care about Oliver Platt and Brendan Gleeson. And they so are the odd couple scene, that I need in my life. Yeah. That's the it's the buddy, yeah. it's the buddy cop scientist comedy movie that I need. Yeah, I. If there is not a giant crocodile, <laughs> or Brendan Gleeson or Oliver Platt in the scene, then I don't care about it. Yeah. Um, but there's enough of that, and that stuff is great that it it carries the movie, and. I, it's weird because I like this movie a ton, uh-huh. even though I don't like either of the main characters. Yeah, this is. Yeah, like I think that the romance thing is we know why the the romance thing is in this movie because it, that's you know that's what they do in movies and they kind yeah. of have to give it that hook and. You know, they, they want to be a creature feature, but they want to give the audience, oh, love, I hope they survive. You know, look at them awkwardly flirt with each other at the beginning, and now they're starting. You know, and that's why that's in there. And, it, I mean, this movie is formulaic AF. This one follows the script. This ticks the boxes all the way down. Um, and you're right, I, I don't, like, Bill Pullman is not a character, he's not... His character of Jack is not a character that I particularly would spend much time with at all. Uh, and Bridget Fonda isn't either. But what I love about this movie is the movie isn't dependent on them at all. Right. Like, there are whole yeah. scenes where they are not in it, or there's one of them in it, and we're not really, we're, but we're focusing on what's happening to Brendan Gleeson or what's happening to Oliver Platt or the, the interaction they're having with Betty White. And this movie really, really knows when to lean into that part of the story when it should go a bit goofy when there should be altercations when things should should go a bit manic and there are some scenes in this with like animal stuff that I still think are fucking great like there's that great scene where and it's bad CGI that has aged horribly but where the cop's head gets just like fucking bitten off like out of nowhere and that still got me like uh-huh. when I was watching it I was like oh yeah fucker like that it just come out of nowhere and I just sat there smiling how happy I was and then you've got Brendan Gleeson on the shore just got that you know put his fucking head off you know like it was just like, it's fucking great absolutely right. love that you know uh, and there's that joke it's a real dumb gag that follows that scene where Oliver Platt is like you know I, I always feel bad when someone dies that I didn't know yeah. because I feel like uh, I should have known him better and and Brendan Gleeson somehow works his way around to the gag of like, well, if you know him before, you know he was taller. Yeah. Um, and it's like, that's a really stupid joke. But the fact that this movie will throw on the brakes to tell a dumb gag uh, is, again, it's one of the reasons I love these kinds of movies. It's like, yes, this is patently ridiculous that there's this giant crocodile eating people in this lake in Maine. Yeah. But what if it happened and what if these charming motherfuckers were there to you know witness it and yeah and it like the, all the stuff with like Oliver Platt uh, setting the traps and Brendan Gleeson going up in the uh, up in the tree uh, because of the snare that oh, stuff so is funny. really funny because the, the comic timing on that as well it's just like, <laughs> like 
like Overplot has tried his hardest to 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 tell a story that he thinks is appropriate in the wake of a tragedy, and the story is not appropriate, and it lands horribly <laughs> with Brendan Gleeson. And Brendan Gleeson is trying, like, with all the will in the world, is trying not to hit him, and he's just like that. I think that we shouldn't spend any time together now. Uh, and, he, and he like turns around <laughs> silently to walk, and then goes up in a, a tra- goes up in a trap that's been set back. It's just perfect comedy timing. It's just great. It's it's, it's executed without a fault. Like all that stuff is done is done too well. You know what I mean? It's like that that side is done really well. And yeah, it does it does highlight the flaws in the the main character's relationship. And in that, I don't really care about it. Um, and you know, if it doesn't happen, that's fine with me. And if it does, that's fine with me. And the fact that the reveal is that you know you've got this crazy old lady uh, who's living out herself who's just feeding the whole fucking cows uh, like blindfolding yeah. them and leading them to the water uh, feeding these whole fucking cows to this crocodile who she maybe we don't know but most likely had her husband fed to um, because it's implied but she never really goes full into it but that's the kind of joke that, that exists in the periphery of this is you know we all know that her husband died uh, and there's a really good chance that that's how it happened. Um, I love that about her as well. And you know, the fact you get Betty White in this one, and there's there's something about her, just in general, which I find her infinitely funny. I think it's how filthy she is. Um, right. Uh, and that, she's got perfect she, comic timing as well. Right. She she is that perfect combination of sounding and looking like a sweet old grandma and having the sensibility of a comedian yes and and being able to like having the self-awareness to know that profanity out of her mouth sounds hilarious Mm -hmm. and uh and she's leaned into it like she's made like had a third career almost in her uh in her life just recently with Betty White being this like that was her whole shtick she was this lovely old lady who said really filthy things yeah and in stark contrast to our performance in Golden Girls where she didn't she was the she was the Ned Flanders of that TV show you know what I mean so yeah it's a complete contrast to that and it works really well and they don't overplay it they could easily overplay that yeah. character in this movie and they know exactly how much to put in there. And that is, once again, that's that's just really clever filmmaking. That's a, we've got this gag, we can, we can deploy this gag as much as we want and audiences will laugh at it, but we're not going to do it too much. Um, and that works really, really well. I actually think, and we were talking about this, the combination of puppet crocodile and CGI crocodile works at a ratio that is good, you know what I mean? It's acceptable. I, obviously, I would love nothing but Puppet Crocodile, um, but I understand it is 1999 by this point, and they ain't spending that amount of money on it. So, sure. but I think it works. I think some of the GGI is dated, but weirdly, still looks as fresh as the Piranha 3D CGI. In some cases, a bit better as well. Um, so, you know, they, they managed to land that stuff right. Not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but they landed that right as well. It's weird how little I have to complain about this movie. Like I really thought I would have like some, you know, well, this isn't great, and this, isn't. 
and it finished and I was like that I would happily I, I'm surprised it's taken me this long to revisit it and if someone said do you want to watch it next week I would happily sit and watch it again oh yeah 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 um, I, you know I've seen this movie a bunch of times I, I think it's really it's really charming again once you overlook the fact that your two leads are not unappealing they're just unnecessary to the film yeah. And they're not particularly compelling or likable. In fact, uh, Bridget Fonda's character, uh, and I like Bridget Fonda just fine, but her character just does nothing but whine and bitch for, you know, the first 15 minutes of this movie. Yeah. yeah. And and then Bill Pullman is next to nothing in this film. And it's it really, like, Brendan Gleeson is pretty good in it up front. But as soon as Oliver Platt comes in on a helicopter to rescue this movie... <laughs> and from that point on, it's kind of genius. Yeah, it's it's this great, like you said, it's it's kind of this almost uh, odd couple buddy comedy with a giant crocodile at the center of it and quirky Betty White on the fringes. Yeah, and that makes a good movie. Uh, it's just that the stars are kind of shitty. So yeah, it's weird because Bridget Fonda, I think. Is a very versatile actress. You know, she's trained up to be a hitman, vulnerable woman, then it turns out a complete badass. And then she was in Single White Female as well, wasn't she? Yeah. Yeah, where she is the fucking great in that. So, versatile actress that to take her. This is why I was like that. How did they get her in this movie? Because the character she's playing is really not. You could make this whole movie without her. Uh, and that seems terrible, but you could remove that character from this movie and it would not. It would not make a jot in the movie at all. It would, yeah. it would run perfectly fine. Uh, but Bill Pullman's in the same position where you could take that character out. Um, and yeah, you would have to have some sort of... You need him at the end to be the the guy who wants the trigger pulled. Because that's what I love about this movie as well is like Brendan Gleeson pretty much throughout this movie. He's lost deputies and all the rest. He's going to pull that fucking trigger. You know what I mean? As soon as he gets a chance. And he doesn't. You know, he, he doesn't at the end where he sees it kind of trapped and, yeah. and kind of vulnerable. There's a, a sliver of humanity. Yes, it's, once again, the perfect comic timing of it being juxtaposed right beside the second crocodile that you don't know about coming out of the water and getting fucking exploded by that massive cannon he's got. is yeah. great. Love it. Absolutely love it. But, yeah, you kind of need someone to be like, pull the trigger, pull the trigger. But that could be any other character you don't need the Bill Pullman character for that as well which just makes like I say makes me wonder why like why why are they in this movie when everything else is working great I know why on paper I know why because audiences love a love story but this movie could function perfect without it in fact if anything it would be better yeah I agree and I, I would say that's one of the more interesting things about this movie too is that it it more than most movies wrestles with the idea of well we can't just kill it yeah you know like this is something it's it's too remarkable a is this the only animal attack movie that it's the only one i could think of where the animal's alive at the end uh I'm, well you know in the it original the, meg yeah. book that happened there yeah, it uh, with like things like I don't, like the prophecy or something where like that bear is still clearly alive at the end with a pair sure. of bear going, ah, <laughs> like right. one of my favorite endings to a movie ever. Uh, but 
you know, out with those sort of movies where it's like you thought you killed it, but it's still alive. But in this one where they intentionally keep it alive. It's the only one I can think of off the top of my head. There might be one, but not not that I can recall. Yeah, uh, I'm discounting Jurassic Park for obvious reasons, but I couldn't. Yeah, think. that's more like we've just got to get out of here. Uh, yeah. That's less. We want to preserve it. Um, yeah, yeah I can't think I, of maybe any. so. Yeah, yeah, I couldn't think of any. Uh, which is very cool. Like, that, that's a cool approach to take with it of, you know, of not necessarily even conservationist, of, of just. Like, hey, it's a living thing. Do we want to murder this thing or not? And uh, uh, just because it's doing, like, you know, it, that crocodile didn't go crazy. That crocodile went crocodile. Yeah. And it just happened <laughs> to be a big one. So, um, yeah, it's it, it, it's it's very cool. Like, like <laughs> It's just so crazy that I like this movie as much as I do. And it's totally because of Oliver Platt and Brenda Gleason yeah. and Betty White and the crocodile. And, uh, th- you know, that that two lead characters could be so un- unnecessary to the central plot that it's like, okay, just forget the leads are in it. Yeah. And it's a great movie. Yeah, um, I, I think because generally if you were critiquing a movie, that would be a big, that'd be a big markdown. You know, in your review, you'd be like, oh, why are they here? They're, you know, there's no charisma, there's no spark, there's no need, they're not necessary. So you would mark a movie down. And I find myself enjoying the movie regardless. Like, just, yeah, I'm on board with this, let's just go, this is a fun ride. Um, right to the very end. I mean, like, generally, those sort of things should be massive black marks on any review. And I just, I, I feel the same way as you. But when it comes to it, I'm like, yeah, like, I just really, I enjoyed this movie way more than one I thought I would, and two, more than I probably should because yeah. of it. But it's just, a, it's just a fun fucking movie. This is, this to me is when people talk about, like, animal horror movies. This is, this makes me feel the way I should feel when I sit down and watch any of them. You know, that end result, that yeah. end feeling of watching Lake Placid should just be the universal feeling post-watching any animal horror movie. Uh, and it nailed it. I, I, yeah, the, it, it's, a, it's a witty, fun script. It's really well casted. Like I say, the CGI is not entirely jail-worthy. Um, it's passable, but there's some puppetry work in here as well. I love some of the kills are unexpected. The main characters are a bit forgettable. But you are surrounded by other great actors who are just doing, you know, just knocking it out of the park with their performances. I, th- I think it's, I think it's really, really, really good, and my grade will reflect it. But I'm going to ask you for your grade first this time. Uh, same Netflix scale, Bo. Uh, what do you give Lake Placid? Before I give this grade, let me just paraphrase a one quick exchange between Brendan Gleeson. And Oliver Platt. <laughs> Brennan Gleason says, I never heard of any crocodile crossing an ocean. And Oliver Platt says, Well they can they conceal information like that in books. <laughs> That's why I give like Placid a four, Duncan. Because <laughs> uh because I will I will happily watch any movie that stars those two characters bantering with each other. Uh-huh. Um, I, I want them to do almost like a Night Stalker style series of movies uh, instead of just Darren McGavin. Though it's 
uh, Brennan Gleason and Oliver Platt investigating giant crocodiles and werewolves and swamp creatures and, you know, voodoo and whatever. I just want to see them together. I am going to agree with you 100%. This is a four-star movie. I really liked this one. Um, I couldn't believe it took me so long to get back around to watch it. Uh, but yeah I, th- I had an absolute fucking ball watching it like just really 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 enjoyed myself um, so I will tell the listeners that they chose wisely for this one uh, this could have been a whole hell of a lot worse I say that in the wake of the previous listener choice uh, where me and Ryan Lewis had to watch Jack Frost so yeah. yeah no this is way better Piranha or Lake Placid it's actually a pretty good double feature I would yeah. watch them uh in, in that order of Piranha and Lake Placid and, and end with the, the better film. Yeah, oh definitely I, I think I think they I think they chose wisely uh, and they chose the guest well as well so I'm paying you a lot of compliments so you, I, know, I, know. Uh, I get to do that because we do stuff together um, you do a lot of stuff I said it earlier, yeah. you're a busy man um, many, many projects on the go um, and uh, the, the, the kind of the ringmaster of your own podcast network. Uh, plug your wares, sir. Yeah, so leechandpodcasts.com is where you can find all this stuff. Uh, to hear me, most of my stuff now is kind of wrapped under the Devour the Podcast umbrella, um, which uh, you can find that on uh, the Facebook and uh, also on you know iTunes and whatnot. Devour the Podcast, it's me and uh, two lovely ladies, Jamie and Vanessa, talking about horror movies. Um, also the Hero Hero Go Show falls under that banner doing some reviews uh, and uh, some other special stuff coming soon Um, and then uh, SDF Gaming we're about to record a new episode of that and and Duncan uh, Pick6Movies.com which is me and uh, my old buddy who I have known for literally almost four decades um doing uh, uh, a discussion of movies uh, based around a theme. We pick six movies based around a central theme. And uh, like this season is our fourth season. And the six movies we're doing are Christmas films nice. uh, in a, a season we are uh, referring to as the war on Christmas movies. And nice. uh, yeah, so I've had to watch a lot of bullshit like jingle all the way. And oh, uh, God. put the, the cookie Santa down. Claus. Just, man, that's a. I, I'll tell you what was a real stunner was uh, how the Grinch stole Christmas. That movie's fucking awful. What the Jim the, Carrey one? Yes. Yeah, it's cause it's 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 cause it's Jim Carrey like on fucking speed, uh, like that's, yeah, it's like yeah, that's that's that is like, that movie is like an entire movie of like Jim Carrey outtakes from the end of other movies just strung yeah. together it's like somebody told him like do the robin williams for for from aladdin but yeah, well, way more <laughs> it's yeah, terrible it's, but yeah yeah so yeah. you can and, and and on that show we also do uh like an introductory piece where we tell try to try to be a little informational tell a little story about uh something either about the movie itself or something related to the movie and that kind of thing so like if you want to know the story of you know how how the Grinch stole Christmas became a movie with Jim Carrey, uh, listen to that episode and it'll tell you all about it. 
Very nice, very nice. Go yeah. across and check out his stuff. Bull will be back um, at least another two times. Uh, and yeah, we'll be putting his stuff under DBCC banner this month as well. But yeah, Bull is scheduled to do the anniversary episode. God knows when that'll get recorded and God knows when it'll drop. Uh, but he will definitely be back on Christmas Eve to join me to do a little commentary on a little... Uh, animal horror movie called Orca um, I'm looking forward to it I, I, I recently watched it so it's, it's fresh in my mind uh, and I'm looking forward to going back and watching it again and doing a commentary with Bo uh, Bo would you like to say goodbye to the listeners please yeah also, uh, thank you so much for listening and uh, we'll see you at the commentary because it's Twas the Night Before Orca baby <laughs> not a aborted killer whale was stirring yeah. Except the one they host off that deck. Ugh. Oh, no. Oh, what are you doing? Uh, yeah. uh, all of a sudden, I sound like Bob standing on a rake. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, I'm going to take my final break. When I come back, I'm closing out the show right after this. You're listening to the podcast Under the Stairs. And you've been listening to the podcast Under the Stairs. This has been episode 162. Looking at Listener Choice December, first of three parts, with your dream double bill, which was Lake Placid and Piranha 3D. Thanks very much to my guest Bo Ransdell for joining me for that episode. Always a blast chatting to Bo, and there'll be plenty more of Bo before the month is out. He's doing quite a few stints under the stairs, and we appreciate it, sir. We do appreciate it. So, there we go brings it in. Like I said at the start of the episode, I ain't rattling back through the full list of um, shows that are coming up, but there is a ton coming up. This is a five episode week, so be prepared for a ton of teapots in your inbox. There's a multitude of ways to check out podcasts under the stairs. As always, I say come across and check us out on the Apple Podcast. Subscribe to the feed that way you get the shows as and when they drop and access to the entire back catalogue of teapots content. Don't stop there though leave us a rating and a review ratings are super important they really do help us the more of them we get and if they're five stars for example the higher up the iTunes charts were pushed for people that are searching for new podcasts to listen to and reviews well you know what reviews do your words you might feel are not that significant or not that important but believe it or not people actually do check reviews on podcasts before they download them so any kind words that you see over there helps us immensely it's free it takes a couple of minutes of your time at the most and it's the best way to support us on that platform you can also check us out on Stitcher Smart Radio SoundCloud Google Play and the TuneIn app you can visit our website it's tputzcast.com you can click the merch tab or go directly to the merch page which is tputzcast.bigcartel.com you can buy posters and enamel pins over there yeah yeah Supporting us by getting some cool swag and that money coming back in to let us do what we do under the stairs. Also, also, ladies and gents, we are on the social medias. We are representing up in that bitch. Uh, We are in two places on Facebook. We have a group page, which is like a community forum where people chat about the movies they're watching, things they're looking forward to. They start discussion topics. We do polls to choose movies over there, as well as memes, trailers, the works. That is our Facebook group page, facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash T Cast. 
We also have a Facebook page. If you can't be bothered with all that interaction, you just want to see when the shows are dropping, uh, check out any live streams we do, um, and connect our Instagram page and our merch page from one place. Uh, you can do that on the Facebook page. That's facebook.com forward slash teapotscast. And you can interact with me on the Twin Prongs or social media sexiness. Instagram and Twitter both can be followed at teapotscast. Right, ladies and gents, I will take my leave of you right now, but you have merely a day and a bit to wait, and then I am back, back in black, to give you more action for this jam-packed December 2018 run from the podcast Under the Stairs. So until then, wherever you are, whatever the time zone is, and whatever you're up to in this big, bad world of ours, please take care of yourselves out there. This is Duncan McLeish broadcasting live from Under the Stairs, and I am signing off.
You can buy my songs online on iTunes, Amazon, and Google Play. I also have my own shop where you can get all the songs in an instant download. My Patreon site. You can get all my songs and support me financially. Just Cause it rhymes with See you later